start listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Self-Made Strategies podcast. I am your host, Tony Lopes, and with me today is Jared Fenton, Executive Director of the Reflect Organization. Jared, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. Um, it's, it's going all right. Um, fortunately, uh, you know, my family and I are safe. We're healthy. Uh, just trying to support students the best we can through this uh, difficult time. Uh, and of course, I hope that, you know, you're well, your family um, and, and friends, too. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And and as the listeners can tell, Jared is calling in. We are recording this episode remotely because we're currently still under the COVID-19 quarantine. And yeah, thank you for saying that. My family, fortunately, everyone is safe and healthy and thus far obeying the instructions and staying indoors. And we hope it stays that way so we can all put an end to this sooner rather than later. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and I'm really glad that they seem to be doing all right. Jared Fenton is the founder and executive director of the Reflect organization. While at the University of Pennsylvania, Jared produced the first ever mixed methods research examining the phenomenon of quote unquote, pen face. Jared has been honored by numerous mental health organizations for his work in the field, and he was awarded the President's Volunteer Service Award by Barack Obama. Jared graduated summa cum laude from the University of Pennsylvania with a BA in political science and a certificate from the Civic Scholars Program for Social Action and Civic Engagement. Jared, that is an amazing, amazing bio. First of all, awesome that you received the president's volunteer service award by Barack Obama. Did you get it to actually meet the president at the time and everything? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I, uh, I did not actually get to meet the president. Uh, thank you for asking. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was quite an honor and I feel very fortunate to have been the recipient of that award. Yeah, that, that is really cool. And again, thank you so much for everything that you do. Mental health is is a huge issue. I know we're all currently focused on COVID-19, but the interesting thing is mental health is one of those things that even related to COVID-19, a lot of people are suffering from escalated mental health issues, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, maintaining mental wellness uh, is something that you know happens daily. Right, self-care happens daily, and um, during this uh, challenging time of, of COVID nineteen, um, it has become harder um, in in many ways to do things uh, that are important for maintaining your mental wellness. And and so one thing that you, know, you and I communicated about offline was this idea of social distancing versus physical distancing, and um, you know, uh, if, if now would be an appropriate time, you know, I, I think it's uh, an important distinction that we as a society have to make. Um, so, for example, uh, when you hear the term social distancing, when many people hear the term social distancing, they think, oh, OK, that means that I have to distance myself from social connection. Um, but, but that's actually the opposite of what we should be doing right now. Um, yes, we should be distancing ourselves physically, but we should be um, doubling or tripling down on our efforts to remain 
socially connected with others, um, to maintain these supportive connections um, that help us to maintain our wellness, um, that help us to live fulfilled lives. And, and so that's why uh, our organization, um, as well as many other organizations, um, so one of our partners is Lady Gaga's Born This Way Foundation, uh, they've also changed their language and updated their language to reflect that this time is certainly one of physical distancing, um, but certainly not one of distancing yourself uh, from those social connections that are so important. Right. That's a great point. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. And to that end, at least on, on, in my circles, right. Whether it's friends, colleagues, uh, referral partners, business partners, any of those individuals, I've been making an effort, at least myself to try to reach out to more and more people. You know, when I receive an email or a text message, just saying, Hey, do you mind if I give you a quick call? And that way we can at least have some form of human interaction in some contexts, you know, we're a little fortunate that this is all happening. And of course, I'm not saying that in any way, this is a fortunate situation, but looking at the silver lining, so to speak, we're a little fortunate that we have the infrastructure and the capability to communicate with each other using Zoom or Facebook Messenger, all of those things that we can communicate on a much more intimate level, even over a virtual platform. So to your point that that's great advice, something, something that we should all strive for just really quickly. Have you met Lady Gaga? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I also uh, unfortunately have not had the pleasure of meeting Lady Gaga, um, but I know, I know her team uh, at Born This Way. Um, I, I could not say, you know, enough, uh, nice things um, uh, about that team. I think the work that they do is essential. Um, and, uh, you know, actually during this time, um, we reached out to them and said, hey, you know, let us let us know if we can be of support in any way. We, of course, want to support, you know, uh, everybody that we can during this time to let people know that, that we're here for them, that one of our organization's core values is allyship. And, you know, we live that. Um, and you know, they, they reached out immediately and said, you know, Hey, thanks so much. Let us know if we can do the same for you. Um, and and the thing about the people at that organization is I know that they mean it. Um, they, they deeply believe in kindness, um, and they exude it, you know, day in and day out. Uh, and so we are, uh, we feel very fortunate to to have them as a partner. And I do hope that one day uh, I'll be able to meet, uh, Lady Gaga herself. Uh, but no, uh, unfortunately, I have not yet. Not yet. Not yet. I like where your head's at. It's going to happen. We just haven't had that opportunity yet. It's nice to hear that you're, that you're able to work with these other organizations and collaborate with them. Just a quick sidebar. One of the things that at least I think that nonprofits sometimes fail to do effectively is resource share, right? And kind of find ways to capacity build by looking for collaborative opportunities with nonprofits that are either tangentially related to what their mission is, or sometimes even in the same space. I mean, in the Philly area where we both reside, and work, it's a hugely competitive space for nonprofits. And a lot of times it's one of those things where, hey, maybe if you combined forces and we're not saying, you know, you may have your very niche specific mission on this 
particular area and this other nonprofit may just like a Venn diagram overlap a little bit. But within that overlap, there's a lot of opportunity to capacity build, resource share, host events together, do those kinds of things. And it's cool to hear you doing that on your end with Lady Gaga's organization. Oh, well, uh, I appreciate that. And I think that to your point, uh, one thing that's important in the nonprofit sector is uh, an acknowledgement of limited resources. And if we can acknowledge that resources are limited, and at the point at which we acknowledge that resources are limited, um, then it begins to become apparent that duplication is inefficient. What we're going to do for the listeners now is I'm going to play a clip from the Reflect organization's website, which, by the way, is reflecteffect.org. And I'm going to play a little bit of the documentary so that people can get a feel for what you do and why you do it. Cool? Great. Tonight, new concerns about the mental health of college students on campuses all over the country. These numbers are staggering. The crisis on campus, colleges and universities struggling to meet the growing demand for mental health services for their students. Yeah, it's such a problem. The American College Health Association is holding a national symposium. In fact, rates of anxiety and depression among college students in the U.S. have soared in the past decade. As students head back to campus, colleges and universities across the country are facing a growing demand for mental health care. And the suicide rate in colleges is astronomical. I mean, a, a, a college student kills himself every day. As research finds a huge number of undergrads are suffering from mental distress. In January of 2014, Madison Holleran took her own life. A middle distance runner at the University of Pennsylvania, Holleran looked like the model student athlete, but in reality, she was struggling to adapt to an Ivy League school. There were two things that I noticed immediately about uh, this school. Um, so the first thing that I noticed, which was great, was that everybody was really open to meeting other people. Um, so I'll give you an example. Um, my freshman year, I did this thing where I would get lunch with a random person every day. But what would happen is that when I would sit down with these students, despite the fact that they were very open to meeting other people, they were not open. Everybody went to the most parties. Everybody was getting the best grades, yet everybody never studied, right? Because they were all just internally super, super smart and able to get those grades, right? Another way to say it is I see students putting on a mask. And I thought, okay, this probably isn't good. Um, but that being said, uh, I've been at this school for three days. So I have no evidence that it's bad. Um, and even if I did have evidence that it was bad, um, what am I going to do about it? Um, Halfway through my freshman year, um, Maddie Holleran dies by suicide, who was in my class. Um, and then at the end of my freshman year, one of my best friends at school was in clinical crisis. It was between um, Maddie Holleran's death and then the experience with my friend that I said, okay, I now know the school well enough to figure out what I'm going to do because I'm going to do something to help solve this college student mental health crisis. I just have to find out what it is. Ultimately, uh, I started doing research on this 
phenomenon called penface, right? And penface is uh, a mask. If you wear this mask that says, I'm perfect, everything's perfect, um, and that's just what it is. Right? You, you hide your true feelings. And what I found out was that uh, penface is in no way unique to pen. Uh, at Columbia, it's called Columbia face. Uh, all the way on the West Coast at Stanford, it's called duck syndrome because a duck glides across the water gracefully, but underneath the surface, its legs are going at a million miles per hour, right? A student graceful on the surface, going crazy underneath. Pen face, Columbia face, duck syndrome, um, all related to the psychological phenomenon of imposter syndrome um, is, is literally an international uh Phenomenon. The suicide rate is up three times since the 1950s. But more specific to the work that we do here at the Reflect organization, um, 62% of college students, uh, according to the American College Health Association, report feeling very lonely. What is needed to be preventative is a cultural shift. We need a cultural shift away from the debilitative culture of perfection and towards one of mutual connection, mutual support, being proud to be yourself, right? And the only way that we are going to get there is if we empower students to create that cultural shift. And so what I had to do is I had to form an organization that empowers students to do that. We have the Reflect Dinners, um, which are monthly dinners, which we host at all of our chapters uh, that are huge. And when students come to our dinners, uh, they are split up into discussion groups. Last week, we had uh, a dinner at Columbia. It was a Columbia Reflect dinner. Every single one of those students chose this discussion group because they were feeling lonely, because they had nobody to go to on campus. 20 minutes after the dinner ended, these same students are still there hugging laughing and walking out of the room. That's why we do what we do. We create these microcosms, these small environments in which college students see this is what it would be like if we were open and honest. This is what college would look like if we lived a life unmasked. This is how we would feel if we lived a life unmasked, if we mutually supported each other, right? And because they experience that there, and because they experience that alongside this incredibly strong message that you all are the ones who can make this change. And in fact, you are the only ones that can make this change. You need to be the ones to make this change because nobody else can. Then they go out and they make the change on campus. The vision is not to have reflect chapters at every single campus on every single college in the world. The vision is to have no reflect chapters because everyone is proud to be themselves, because everybody is proud to take off the mask, follow their passions and support others as they do the same.
The school you were referring to in that video was, of course, the University of Pennsylvania. You were a freshman there, as you said in the video. And freshman year, you did that project where you met with a new student each day. So tell us a little bit more. And I know we heard it in the documentary clip that we just played. But tell us a little bit more about why you started doing that project to begin with and then how that slowly snowballed into all of this data that you started compiling. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for the question. So the reason that I first went about getting lunch every day with a new student was simply because I didn't know too many people. And I figured that if uh, many first-year students were going to be in the lunchroom every single day getting lunch, uh, it would be a good way to go and meet my classmates. Walking up to somebody who's sitting alone and saying, hey, can I join you? Worst case scenario, they're busy and I go ask somebody else. Uh, So that's really how it started, just as a way to meet new people, try to make friends, try to meet the students that uh, were in my class. Yeah, really just basically smart networking for a freshman in college, especially a a university like UPenn, which is a highly competitive environment. And you want to kind of build allies, right? You want to start building out your network. That's a large part of what you're doing there. So you're just hitting the ground running as a good freshman would. Sure. So uh, I think that um, you're exactly right when you talk about, you know, the potential networking benefits of what I was doing. Um, I, I appreciate uh, you know, the amount of credit that you were giving me in terms of that. I think at the same time, when I was doing it, I was just thinking, you know, hey, uh, I know a very few people at this school. Um, I feel better as a person when I have you know, many friends with whom I can hang out, with whom I can chat, with whom I can connect. Let's go and try to make some friends. Um, and, and like you said, you know, I, I think that that certainly has had networking implications, um, you know, as I've gone to graduate college and now be in the working world. Um, at the same time, when I started, it was, uh, I think pretty simply, um, just an effort to, you know, try to make some friends. Right, exactly. Okay, so then you start to notice this trend, as you mentioned in the documentary, where people, it seems like everyone you're meeting is going to the best parties or the most parties. Everyone that you're meeting has the best prospects or has the best upcoming internships, etc. So that kind of leads you to this concept of Penface. So walk us through, A, what Penface is, but also how all of this data that you loosely put together, how this all all sort of came to fruition and then how that leads you into the reflect organization. Yeah. Uh, so as you mentioned, I would get lunch with these new students every day and it seemed to me like rather than talking to the student as they truly were, I was talking to the student's Instagram profile. Um, so all of the students seemed to me to be living these, you know, perfect curated lives, um, like, you know, many social media profiles are. Uh, one item that, you know, I actually think is, is quite interesting is we talk about how social media is so often a force for ill in terms of the fakeness, um, you know, of people's profiles in terms of, you know, the fact that there are all these pictures that are highly edited and the negative mental health implications uh, that has had and continues to have. Um, and if we think back, uh, you know, years ago when Facebook was, um, 
you know, uh, potentially even bigger uh, than it is today in terms of a platform that, you know, people in college um, are using or people in high school. Um, years ago, your homepage on Facebook was literally called your wall. Now it's called your timeline, but it was actually called your wall at one point. And that's what I felt like I was experiencing. I I felt like I was speaking to these students' wall. And so, you know, I'm very fortunate uh, in in many ways. Um, And one of the ways um, in which I'm so fortunate is that I come from a family uh, that is, uh, our motto is essentially, you know, be the best person that you can be. Be the best version of you. But don't ever be somebody that you're not. Because we believe in you and we love you. And, you know, that is so much more than enough. And so coming from this family that, you know, embraces authenticity, that embraces openness, that embraces honesty, um, that embraces, you know, living the life that you feel you should be living, that you feel you want to live. Um, I noticed that, you know, it appeared that these students with whom I was getting lunch with uh, weren't being themselves. And as you mentioned, um, they're actually ended up becoming a name for these masks of effortless perfection that I was uh, experiencing these students wearing. And that name is Penface. And so Penface is a term that developed uh, from the pen community. Uh, and like I mentioned, it is, it is now you know, in use today. And it is a term that students use to describe the masks of effortless perfection that they wear. And as I noticed that you know, students were wearing the pen face, I was thinking to myself, you know, this can't possibly be a good thing. But at the same time, I I don't really have evidence, hard evidence that it's a bad thing. You know, I've only been at this school for a month or or two months or whatever it may be. I haven't been here that long. Um, You know, I haven't seen, like I, like I said, I feel like I'm repeating myself a bit, but I haven't seen true evidence uh, that this is a bad thing. And even if I had seen, you know, hard evidence that these pen faces are negatively impacting students, having been here for such a short period of time, it might be irresponsible of me to try to go about changing the school from the inside out without knowing how the school even operates, right? Because I might start doing things that actually end up creating more harm than good. And so I just kept getting lunch with students, right? I I really didn't do anything beyond that. I just kept up the lunches. Halfway through my first year of school, uh, a class, classmate, excuse me, of mine named Maddie Holleran died by suicide. And shortly after Maddie's death, uh, the ESPN columnist Kate Fagan came out with the story called Split Image. And Split Image was all about uh, the image that Maddie portrayed to the outside world um, which many would describe as, as this cultivated, you know, perfect image. Maddie was a track star, um, you know, it's seemingly uh, thriving as opposed to the image of who Maddie was on the inside. 
and what Maddie really felt and, you know, the deep turmoil that Maddie was experiencing. And then at the end of my first year of school, um, I found one of my friends one night in crisis. Um, and, and so my friend was suicidal and, and fortunately my friend is alive. My friend is happy. My friend is well spent. Um, and I say it as much as I can, it's the best thing that's ever happened as a result of my work in, you know, mental wellness. And I, I wasn't even working in mental wellness at the time. You know, I just happened to be a student in the right place at the right time. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, my friend was able to get the help that was needed. Yeah, that's, uh, that's great to hear. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, um, very, very grateful for you sharing that, that story. And it's wonderful to hear that you were able to save that individual before the worst happened. Well, I, I thank you. And it's, it's, it's very kind of you to, to, to use the you know term save. Uh, I had been very lucky insofar as I had been invited to a seminar run by a group on Penn's campus called Cogwell, which teaches um, active listening and supportive intervention. And um, uh, again, it was you know, thanks to that group that I was able to learn the skills that you know, I used in that moment. And, you know, um, like I said, it's generous of you to use the term save. You know, I, I don't know um, if I'm deserving of that term necessarily, uh, but fortunately what, what, you know, I did in that moment was able to, um, you know, uh, help, uh, and, and my friend is, uh, with us today and, and doing really well today. Um, and so it was after that, uh, that experience with my friend, And then, um, of course, prior to that, the death of Maddie and Kate Sagan's article coming out that I said, okay, um, now I have evidence that Penn Face is really bad. And I happened to be in this program at my school uh, called the Civic Scholars Program. Um, they choose about 15 students per class, and they fully resource you to do four years of preparation for and then formal research into any community service topic of your choice. It's an incredible program. It's the reason that I chose to attend Penn. And I said, all right, well, if I'm in this program, if I am lucky enough that I am going to be fully resourced to do you know, research into any community service topic that I want, who would I be if not to study Penn Face, if not to study college students' mental wellness, and to try to figure out how you know I might be able to make a difference um, to help. Uh, and so that's really where, um, you know, the work that ultimately led to the Reflect organization started. Right. And yeah, thank you for sharing again, that incredible experience that, that you underwent and a very personal one for you, obviously that impacted you so much that you decide to go in this direction with Reflect. So where are you today with the Reflect organization? And what are the opportunities for innovation that the Reflect organization can be a part of? Sure. Um, so we are, uh, like you said, we are now a national mental wellness nonprofit. Uh, when we first started, we were a student club um, at the University of Pennsylvania. And so, you know, our growth has been pretty exciting in that sense um, from, you know, back in uh 
back years ago from just the student club to now with chapters across campuses. So we are based, uh, our national headquarters is based here in Philadelphia. Uh, we're at 17th and Market. Of course, we're now working from home. Um, but when we're not working from home, you can find us at 17th and Market. And we now have uh, chapters on various different campuses. Uh, so we have Pennsylvania chapters. You know, we have a chapter at Penn. We have a chapter at LaSalle University. Uh, we also have chapters, for example, in New York. Uh, so there's Columbia Reflect. There's uh, uh, Cornell Reflect, right? Barnard has a chapter. Um, we actually combine the Columbia and Barnard chapters, um, and we do that purposefully uh, as a measure of inclusion. Um, we, we want, you know, both Barnard students and Columbia students to be able to get together um, to, you know, see the value in each other and to have those conversations collectively. Um, and we have chapters elsewhere, too, for example, like Queens College. And so, uh, you know, in terms of growth, in terms of where we are now, um, you know, uh, that's, that's a bit of a window um, into that which we are doing. Um, in terms of innovation, I appreciate your asking that question, um, and I might answer it in a bit of a different way than you intended, uh, but I think that it, it, it's worth it. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I think it's worth it. Um, so thanks for letting me go in this direction. Um, no worries. Reflect is a mental wellness nonprofit, and that's why we were founded, right? We were founded to... Um, support the mental wellness of college students. Um, at the same time, as I have um, you know, seen Reflect grow and experienced Reflect growth and spoken with the students who attend our programs, I've come to um, I've come to believe that Reflect may actually have an important connection to innovation. Um, and, you know, particularly for this example, student innovation. Um, and so I think the best way to talk about this is via a story. Um, so in, in short, uh, we host these programs called Reflect Dinners. Uh, hundreds of students at each of our chapters gather together on a monthly basis uh, to take off their pen faces, to take off their masks, um, and to connect with each other as authentic self-loving allies. Um, and I would love to talk about, you know, the reasons we do that in terms of mental wellness for, for this particular uh, question that you were kind enough to ask. I'm going to talk about it in terms of innovation. So one of our early chapters, uh, we had a group of students that would always come to our dinners. And at our dinners, we guarantee to students that they are able to talk about literally whatever is on their mind. Because what we don't want to do is we don't want to say, hey, you can come to reflect, but you can only talk about these five things that we think are okay for you to talk about. Because students are spending, you know, uh, hours and hours uh, of their time every single day, if not their entire day every single day feeling that they can only talk about certain approved things, which may or may not be what they're actually passionate about. So we had these group of students that would come to our dinners and they would uh, self-select to talk about art. 
And this was interesting because, you know, a lot of our students come and they talk about uh, stress or relationships or race or gender or religion. But we, we, we hadn't actually had students to that point come and talk about art. And so we inquired with these students and we said, um, you know, in, in a nice way, we said, hey, um, we're, we're curious as to why you come and talk about art. Could you share more with us about that? And what they said to me, I'll never forget. Uh, one of the students in this group stood up and she looked at me and she said, we come here and talk about art because that's what we study, because we're artists. And we feel that this campus, and I won't name the particular school, but we feel that this campus, in their words, they said, is unbelievably pre-professional. And whenever anybody asks us what we study and we say art, they turn around and say, well, what are you going to do? Paint the walls at Goldman? And we could not feel more isolated, (laughs) right? And and we could not feel more alone. And, you know, that's not right. It's not right to make somebody feel othered. It's not right to make somebody feel like, you know, they don't fit in. Um, Especially when, you know, college is supposed to be a place for exploration and innovation and to follow your passion. And so what it got me thinking about, and this is where the relationship to innovation comes, what it got me thinking about is, we did the research on PenFace, right? What we know is that PenFace is essentially an idealized version of the status quo. But whenever I meet with college administrators and whenever I meet um, you know, with uh, our different faculty advisors, whoever they may be, what I hear time and time again is we want our students to change the world. Right? We want our students to create something that is different from anything we have ever seen before that makes the world a better place. And it's nice that they're saying makes the world a better place, right? Because that's, um, you know, that's, that's good that they're focused on uh, improving the yeah, world. Yeah, it makes you feel warm and fuzzy exactly. inside. And yeah, it's a, it's a positive right, focus. Right. Yeah. Uh, so that, that part's nice. And what I always think is... I think about those artists, right? And I think about the fact that those artists may have world-changing ideas, right? They might be envisioning something that literally is different from anything we have ever seen before. But because of Penface, because of this tremendous pressure that students feel to hide their passions, to hide their true feelings, and to put on this mask that says, you know, I am this idealized version of the status quo, we may never see what that artist envisions. Because in order for that artist to go and produce that, they would have to go beyond the pencil. They would have to take that risk. Right. And it's and it's very difficult to take that risk, period. And it's even more difficult to take that risk when you don't know if there will be somebody to catch you if you fail. Right. If you don't have people on your team, if you don't have that one caring person, which you and I have talked about, I think, offline. And I'd love to talk about more, but it's hard to do that. 
and, and it doesn't just have to do with art. So, you know, um, bankers, scientists, whoever it might be, can envision something completely different than we've ever seen before. But if the world that we live in and if the world that we, you know, um, at least on college campuses, continue to reinforce is one in which the idealized version of the status quo is what we're going for, I I don't think that we're necessarily going to get to a world that's completely different, right? And, And so... In that way, I actually do think that, you know, reflect mission of empowering students to foster a culture of allyship, authenticity, and self-love reflects work to empower students to say, I believe in you for who you are. And if you have a world-changing idea, and if it's outside of the status quo, and you go for it, I'm going to support you in doing that. And if you fail, don't worry, because I'll be here to catch you. And I can lift you up and continue to believe in you and you can go for it again. And, and I think that now I don't have research to prove this, right? I did the research on pen face, but that's different from what I'm talking about right now. I just think mm-hmm. that if we can create these supportive communities where people are proud to pursue their passions and aren't afraid to do it, then that can drive significant innovation. Yeah, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, you're talking to a lawyer sitting in his basement recording podcasts remotely so that he can try to provide a little positivity for people while they're stuck inside with uh, COVID-19 quarantine, right? It's amazing. What you're doing is great. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. No, you're preaching to the converted a little bit. I I agree (laughs) with you wholeheartedly. But yeah, let's talk about the concept of one caring person, which you touched on there sort of at the 30,000 foot view. And that's where this belief comes from, right? That concept, as you said, of that one, it, it, it's like mentorship on steroids, if I could relate it to something that I'm I'm hearing, if I'm hearing it correctly. Is, is that how you would relate it more or less? It, it's more than a mentorship. It's not, it's not just a mentorship. It's more that, you know, I'm going to be there for you beyond the the times that otherwise you might think you know, in other words, if there's ever a time where you look around and you think no one is here for me, I'm alone. I'm your lifeline kind of thing. Is that is that right? Yeah, um, it's, it's knowing that. Well, um, if you have your one caring person. Then you would know that you're not alone. Right. And, and that is so important just to know that you're not alone, to know that there's at least one person there who doesn't judge you, who believes in you unconditionally, and who holds you to a high expectation. And I'll dive into to each of those three. Um, to, to, um, to back up a little bit, um, one caring person is a concept in um, positive youth development uh, that came to me from one of my mentors, talking about mentorship, that came to me from one of my mentors um, and also an advisory board member of the Reflect organization named Dr. Ken Ginsberg. And the theory of one caring person says that if you have just one person in your life who, like I said, uh, does not judge you, believes in you unconditionally, and holds you to a high expectation. Now, interestingly, holding you to a high expectation doesn't mean um, you know, and, and if you'll allow me to use your name, then I will in this example. Uh, is that yeah, right with you? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
great. Um, so, so if, if I hold you, Tony, to a high expectation, that doesn't mean that I'm saying, Hey, Tony, um, you know, you have to get straight eight, right? Or, Hey, Tony, you have to close three deals by next year or 10 deals or 20 or 300 deals, right? Whatever it may be. Um, rather holding you to a high expectation means I believe in you, Tony, to be the best you that you can be. I know who you are. I know that you are a good person. And I am holding you to that high expectation. Right. Um, and, and that's the difference. So a lot of people might hear one caring person and think, Oh, high expectation. That means that, you know, they need to get a hundred percent on every one of their exams. No, it certainly doesn't mean that. Um, in fact, it means believing in the person to be the best person that they can be. And what's so uh, transformative about this concept of one caring person is that every single person could be that one caring person, right? You don't have to be a therapist. You don't have to, you know, be a college student. You don't have to be whoever. Any given person could be that one caring person for somebody else. And what we know is that having one caring person in your life can help to foster resilience and break cycles of adversity. Um, there's actually a documentary called Paper Tigers, which talks all about this uh, school for trauma-impacted youth that adopts this mindset of one caring person. And it talks about the transformative effects of this mindset adoption on the youth that attend that high school. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I, I see a lot of other applications and uses for this concept in theory, right? I mean, it's not just at the college level. It can be done in urban environments to help people to grow as individuals and also just to foster sort of this concept of... Um, opportunity to get yourself out of your present circumstances, right? Not, not to say that anyone's circumstances are bad or that we disapprove or anything like that, but more so just to show that there's someone out there who cares about you, who cares about your growth, who cares about your success, but at the same time is going to hold you accountable, which I, I find fascinating if if you've ever heard of the term spiral dynamics, which is this concept of the evolution of consciousness or thought, and there are different mimetic stages throughout spiral dynamics. And I find that your philosophy is very in line with in what's called integral philosophy, which is sort of this concept within spiral dynamics. And, and sorry to, uh, to hopefully not bore the listeners, but Google spiral dynamics, Google Ken Wilbur, and, and you'll see this interesting uh, um, concept of, of thought evolution, for lack of a better term. And I see your your concept as being at the forefront of that ability to evolve to that level as a society, as a community globally, and, um, and to be able to help one another one person at a time, one by one, but as sort of holons within a larger community. And, and I find it fascinating. And then even if you're more the, the entrepreneurial and to put it in the spiral dynamics terms, orange meme in type of individual, this is really useful to the bottom line of your organization, because we're talking about fostering 
legitimate relationships, either within an organization, you know, kind of taking a quick sidebar, we know that these organizations, these big corporations in general, and I'd hate to generalize, but generally speaking, they do have this concept of, oh, we're going to bring in a new associate and they're going to get a mentor. That's someone who's at the partner level. And quite frankly, those two individuals could not be more different, most likely, right? (laughs) And if it's just this sort of bureaucratic forced relationship of mentorship, it's not really going to, to provide the younger associate with any legitimate growth. I'm sure there are individuals out there that are nodding their heads and would argue with me to the death. You know my email. Go ahead and email me your your hateful <laughs> comments about this. But especially, of course, I can speak to this with respect to the legal industry, at least in my experience, and and quite frankly and honestly, experiences that uh, collaborators and other people who are as uh, Jamie uh, Jamie Shanker Passero from the Temple SBDC and. Philadelphia Philly Food Adventures episode. If you go back and listen to that, she calls herself a reformed attorney. And the legal industry is really not exactly like, hey, come on in, you're new, we're going to uh, support you. It's more, hey, I suffered and got smacked down when I was a new associate. Therefore, I'm going to make you suffer and smack you down as well. And um, it's just not not good fertilizer for lack of a better term. It is shitty, but it's not good fertilizer for growth, right? So um, it, it's it's a really interesting concept. So, all right, looking at that and now shifting just slightly, because I think this is a good segue for what you're doing in terms of coronavirus, COVID-19 response through the Reflect organization. I know that you have resources, uh, a resource and activity guide on the website. So again, if you go to reflecteffect.org, right on the homepage, you'll see a link for the COVID-19 resource and activity guide. You click on that, a Google Docs document opens up and you have some general resources here, resources for mental health and wellness, which we could all use right now. I don't care what level you're at. If you're listening to this, go through, read it. This is important stuff. Sometimes you don't even realize that you're in this negative funk or this this depressive mental state until you're too deep into it, right? Do you agree with that? What do you think? Yeah. It, you know, I am definitely a proponent of proactivity. So if you're able to engage regularly in these kind of proactive ways to care for your mental wellness, or if you see yourself going um, down a path that you don't necessarily want to be going down to look up resources, to reach out, to ask for help, um, I, I wholeheartedly agree that uh, that can be helpful. Um, and, and I would encourage anybody who you know, is trying to maintain their mental wellness. And I would encourage everybody to try to maintain their mental wellness um, to familiarize yourself with the resources and to familiarize yourself with, you know, different practices that you can engage in, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, you know, whatever it is um, to help yourself, um, you know, maintain the uh, level of wellness that, you know, that, that you're interested in and that you deserve. 
Right, exactly. And so in this uh, resource and activity guide, first of all, thank you for providing legitimate resources. There is so much misinformation going around the internet right now. It's best to just stick to what we know. And we don't know a lot, admittedly. And we, of course, there's a lot of ambiguity and we don't fully understand, understand the impact of all of this yet. We'll only, I think, understand it fully when we're looking backwards, of course, with 2020 vision. But you have resources here for COVID-19 updates, as well as a coronavirus self-checker tool. You have resources specific to Philly. You have resources specific to New York City and New York in general. And then you have resources for mental health and wellness. And those are CDC and prevention tips for managing stress and anxiety. That's a good link. Then you have the Pennsylvania Higher Education Suicide Prevention Coalition. You have a variety of other suicide prevention resource centers to support mental health and coping with COVID-19, the Jed Foundation, of course, the Reflect organization to stay connected during a time of physical distancing. Um, and then again, mental health and awareness resources specific to Philly and New York City. So thank you. And you also have the national hotline resources. We'll also post a link uh, as long as you're okay with it to all of this on the show notes so that if anybody needs quick access, you could just go right to the show notes and, and see the link in there to this resource and activity guide. And then lastly, again, the activity guide part of it, you have a whole long list, which I appreciate of potential activities to do. And I won't read them all, but there's some really good ones in here, like attending a virtual museum, opera, or concert. You can, of course, connect by phone or video with others. You can cook a meal, do some meal prep. You can create a home spa. Love that one. Engage in arts and crafts. Fantastic. Great opportunity for you to pick up that paintbrush, throw on some uh, painting with Bob Ross and just chill out and uh, maybe paint some happy little trees to help you get through this a little bit. Listening to music, of course, playing board games, engaging in meditation and self-care routines. Critical, critical, critical. So let's talk about some of these. What are maybe some of your favorites or your personal go-tos that you go to on a daily basis if you're feeling like you're in a mental fog or maybe a little down because of all of this, what would be your sort of emergency plan of activities to go to? Yeah. Um, so one thing that I do uh, to you know help maintain my wellness um, is I exercise. And you, know, you and I have talked about this previously, um, but I always love talking about it. And you know, one particular um, type of practice that I engage in is um, this practice called Yamana body rolling. Um, and what's so great, uh, I guess I'll step back and I'll describe a little bit about, you know, what is Yamana body rolling? Um, essentially, uh, Yamana body rolling is a practice where um, you use a, um, a, a, it's not an exercise ball. Um, it's kind of uh, the size of, um, you know, it, it, it depends on the size of the ball, but there, there are balls that are as small as basically a kettlebell. There are balls that are slightly larger um, and they're squishy, but not too squishy. Um, it's kind of hard to describe unless you've actually seen it, but you can order them online. Um, if anybody's interested in more information about them, they can 
you know, either Google Yamina or they can, you know, send an email to me um, and, and I'd be happy to talk about it too. Um, but basically you, you, you do these different routines using the Yamina ball. And um, what is unique about the Yamina balls is they're specially made in order that uh, they stimulate the bone. Um, so rather than just, you know, stimulating muscle, they actually stimulate the bone. And they help to create space. They help muscles to lengthen. And there's a heavy component of breathing and uh, breath involved in Yamana. And so as you're working on the ball, um, and it's not supposed to be a routine that's exhausting, right? It's supposed to be a routine that's restorative. And so as you're working on the ball, you're um, trying to control your breath and to breathe into different areas of your body to open up that particular area of your body. Um, and right, what exactly. you'll find if you engage in Yamana, um, which is pretty exciting, is you know sometimes you'll be rolling the ball. Um, you know, you kind of roll your leg on the ball instead of rolling the ball on your leg, if that makes sense. But uh, the ball will be under you, and you are rolling uh, your leg along that ball. And as you're, you know, breathing and intentionally thinking about opening up space in your leg, you might actually feel your shoulder become less tense, right? Or you might feel, you know, somewhere in your back become less tense. And that's, of course, because the body is all connected. And, um, so what I, what I love about Yamana is that it's a restorative healing practice. Um, and it's empowering, too, because I'm the one who's rolling on the Yamana ball. I'm the one who's engaging, you know, kind of in this exploration of how the different parts of my body are connected, how one area affects another. I can decide how much breath I give to a certain area. I'm the one that is making those decisions. And so as opposed to, um, you know, uh, other modalities where um, you might have somebody working on you, and of course those have their time and they have their place and, you know, they are deeply helpful to many people. Um, Yamana takes the standpoint of let's give people this ball Let's equip people with these routines in order that they themselves can then become their own teacher um, and engage in this kind of healing, explore, uh, healing, excuse me, exploration. Um, and so that's one, you know, uh, self-care tool that I use. Right. And if I can just uh, jump in real quick to your point. So Yamana body rolling is very similar to using a foam roller. And what this might be referred to is myofacial release. Myofacial release is essentially a safe and, and fairly effective way of applying gentle sustained pressure, like you said, into the myofacial connective tissue um, to alleviate pain, to elongate your muscles, to relax you, to restore store motion. Think of it almost as kind of a self-massage in a lot of ways. And you can actually also use Yamana body rolling balls or a foam roller up against the wall in an upright position. So if you're someone who 
does not have a ton of flexibility or has some breathing conditions or uh, has has difficulty with mobility or exercise. Um, or maybe if you're suffering from anxiety, hint, hint, uh, you know, you, you may experience shortness of breath if you're doing it on the ground or something like that. And to your point, there's there's some breathing associated with this. So a good alternative sometimes is to just take the ball, put it between your back and the wall, for example, in an upright posture or even in a chair, you can, you know, kind of sit with one uh, thigh over one of the smaller balls on a chair so that you don't have to exert a lot of pressure. And, and you can do it that way. Keep in mind, everybody that's listening to this, if it's not apparent and obvious, Jared and I are not doctors. Uh, we don't even play one on TV, as a matter of fact. So, you know, obviously talk to your doctor, talk to your healthcare professionals and make sure that this is right for you. But generally speaking, it can be very helpful because basically you're getting those knots out of your myofascial connective tissue. And that actually helps to alleviate knots, to increase blood flow, to improve circulation. It, it has a lot of really positive benefits. So a, a couple of things you can check out, a couple of resources you can check out if you want my more information. And, and we're not associated with these in any way, but just a couple that I've come across is myofacialrelease.com. Just Google it. Google will correct you. Don't worry about it. Or a book and system called The Melt Method. And that's a, a really good resource that you can go to as well for that. But thank you for sharing that, Jared. Continue with your your other stuff that you do. Yeah. Um, no, thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I also, um, you know, could not uh, agree more with you in terms of the, um, you know, positive effects of myofacial, you know, release therapy. Um, and, you know, it, it is, um, interesting to me and notable to me how, you know, Yamana kind of takes myofacial release therapy and says, and, and let's go even deeper to stimulating that bone, stimulating the tendon, going deeper and being able to stimulate, um, that at deeper release. Some other things that I do, uh, to care for myself, um, I, uh, very much enjoy podcasts. Uh, so, you know, as I, I, I didn't even plan that, uh, that literally just came to my head as I was thinking about self-care. What do I do for well self-care? Well, I exercise, well I listen to podcasts. Uh, I am a huge supporter of self-made strategies. Thank you. Uh, Thank I really you am. Much. We really uh, appreciate you, it. you probably won't have this on the podcast, but for your listeners, um, I am a listener as well. Thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so big fan of podcasts. Um, you know, love, uh, popping in the headphones and, you know, whether it's learning, whether it's doing it, you know, to kind of just you know, get out of your head for a little while, whatever it may be. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, other items on that, uh, activity list. Uh, I really enjoy cooking. Um, so, you know, I, I do a lot of that usually. Um, and, you know, one of my, uh, the, the most important thing that I do in order to care for myself. And, you know, again, I feel privileged and, and lucky that I am able to do this is I have, you know, conversations with those caring people in my life. Um, and that's restorative. Um, and that's affirming. Um, and so, you know, uh, every single day, um, I, you know, have the privilege of talking to people 
who I feel are my one caring person. Um, and so you, know, you were kind enough, Tony, to be reading that resource guide um, and one of Reflex initiatives that we've kicked off during this you know, difficult and challenging time of coronavirus is something called our connectivity campaign. And we're running this campaign across multiple platforms. You can see some of it on our Instagram if you go follow us there. But it, the bottom line of the connectivity campaign, whether you're doing it through Reflect or whether you're just doing it by yourself, is if you, you know, have your own oxygen mask on first, right, we have to care for ourselves um, in order that we're able to appropriately care for others. Um, but if you have your own oxygen mask on first, then you can make a big difference during this time by doing what Tony, you know, without even knowing I was going to say this, said he's already doing by reaching out to people, by checking in, saying, hey, how are you? How's it going? by letting people know that you're there for them and you care about them. Um, because, you know, as, as you were mentioning as well, Tony, you know, we know that over 60% of college students report having felt very lonely in just the past year. And we also know that the UK has appointed a minister of loneliness. So it's not just college students who are lonely. It's not just college students that feel like they don't have their one caring person. Yet we know that if you have that one caring person, that you can build resilience, that you can um, break cycles of adversity, that one caring person does have the power to be transformative. And so, you know, one thing that you know, people often ask me is they say, well, okay, you know, I get it. Theoretically, um, I can not judge somebody. I can hold somebody to a high expectation. I can unconditionally believe in them. But, you know, if somebody says X to me, what do I say in return, right? How, how do I let them know that I'm not judging them? How do I let them know that I believe in them to be the best person that they can be? And the answer I find very inspiring. The answer is it's not a script. It's just about being there and trying your best, right? It's just about how that person feels when they're around you. If when that person's around you, if when you're interacting with that person, if that person knows that they can go to you and that you're not going to judge them and that you do believe in them to be the best that they can be and that you, um, you know, are uh, going to uh, be there for them, then that makes all the difference in the world. Again, it's not a script. It's just about giving a good faith effort to be that one person. And that's what's so beautiful about this connectivity campaign, that everybody has the opportunity to participate in it, to participate, excuse me, in it, and everybody therefore has the ability to help change a life. Um, we can all do it. And, 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 you know, whenever I'm talking, whenever people invite me, like you, kind enough to invite me to do a podcast, I try to put a plug in there, not to reflect connectivity campaign. I'm happy for you to do it wherever you do it. I try to put a plug in there for everybody, if they are able, right, if they have their own oxygen mask on, to go out and to try to be that one caring person for somebody else.
um, because it can really change a life. It's important, however, on the topic of self-care, that if you are going to be that one caring person, especially if you're going to be that one caring person for more than one person, that you're caring for yourself. Um, because there is a saying in mental wellness, which is, you know, who tows the tow truck, right? If, if the tow truck breaks down, what do you do? And so if we're going to be there for each other, then we want to make sure that our own oxygen mask is on and that we're first, you know, caring for it. Right. That makes a lot of sense. And thank you for sharing that. I think the analogy makes, makes a ton of sense. You can't be helpful to others if you yourself uh, need help. And don't get me wrong. We all need help at some time, but while we, um, a good, a good other example might be, for example, extroverts and introverts, right? People like to silo the two as if they are mutually exclusive oppositional forces, right? And in reality, if we look at extroverts and introverts, they're actually two parts of the same whole that need each other for existence, for lack of a better term, at different times, right? And right now is a great time if you're an extrovert and you need extroverts need external people, uh, contact external stimuli to gain energy and introverts are generally speaking introspective. That's where the two terms essentially come from, right? So if you're an extrovert and you feel that you need a lot of outside contact, well, guess what? Even though there's a lot of jokes and memes about introverts right now having a great time and and how this is like an intro an introverts paradise quite frankly people who live alone or people who who are introverted at some point also need human contact right so a, a, a text message to a friend of yours who may be usually more introverted and saying hey i'm here for you if you ever need to talk give me a call which uh to your point you're right we didn't talk about saying saying that at all and, and it's funny that you brought that up that has been something that I've been doing, even with most clients, even with most people that that are going to be guests on the podcast, even with most, you know, referral partners or whatever, I've been going around and, and you know, I haven't hit everybody. So I apologize if you're listening to this and I haven't gotten to you yet, but I'm doing the best I can to go around as well. And just sending a quick message and saying, hey, this is not a business text or anything. I'm just checking in to say hi. If you need someone to talk to, give me a call or shoot me a text. Happy to, you know, just connect with you or see how things are going. And it, it, that can be really meaningful. And if you're one of these people who who is very focused on the ROI rather than the ROR, right? Return on relationship. If you're one of the people who's more transactional, then put it in a transactional context. You're investing in these relationships that at a later time will pay huge dividends because people will remember that you were there for them. People remember how you made them feel, not how you made the, not what you said or not what you did. It's how you made them feel that lasts longer, right? Um, so yeah, that, that's a great point. All right. So talking about the reflect organization now in terms of your expansion, the things that you're doing to expand and looking at the future, um, I know you've mentioned the idea of reflect as more of a movement. Uh, and then lastly, you know, capping that off with how people can donate. And I know that's a three-parter, so I can follow back up if we get lost. But let's look first at expansion and at the future. What what do you have going on right now? Oh, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for asking. Right now, we are fully invested in supporting our students to the best of our ability 
through this difficult and challenging time of COVID-19. Um, and we, of course, didn't expect this. Um, but, you know, part of, and, and you've talked about this on podcast after podcast, right? Part of um, being a startup and, and even being a business is the ability to adapt, right? And the ability to shift. And um, we are here to support our students. And so uh, what is the very short-term, hopefully, future of Reflect look like? It looks like doing our all to support students through this challenging time. Um, notably, uh, and, and I do think this is worth mentioning, um, we've heard from a lot of our students that their summer internships have been canceled. And um, that's sad. Because, you know, students work very hard and they're very excited and they deserve to have an educational, fulfilling and meaningful summer experience. Um, and so one thing that we've done is we've actually revamped our summer internship uh, program to enable uh, college students to do work remotely. Um, and our summer internship program is different from uh, many of the others I've heard about. Um, since we believe in the power of college students to be transformative, we bring in our interns and we uh, put them at the highest levels of our organization. And so you know, to not spend too much time on this, but to give you two direct examples, um, the website that you very nicely have, have shouted out a couple of times, that was fully built by a first year college student who is a summer intern of ours. Wow, that is really impressive. Thank you. And and to give her credit, her name is Lily. She entirely built that website from scratch. The website that we had before, uh, which I can take full credit for, was a website that looked like a spam website. And uh, it did not inspire confidence. And Lily um, was generous enough to come into our organization and say, hey, I, I, I can you know do something with this. And I can drive your mission forward by, you know, giving you an effective, credible website um, that really serves as, you know, the online mouthpiece for what you're doing. Um, our well, so we have an online blog where students share open, uh, where students share personal stories of authenticity, allyship, and self-love. With the idea being that if you're a student who can't, for example, attend one of our dinners, or rather who expresses themselves in a way that's not necessarily vocalizing, right? It's not necessarily through speech that you choose to express yourself, but you'd rather express yourself through the written word. One of our interns came to us and said, hey, why don't you have an online platform where students can do that? And so another one of our interns named Maddie, she conceptualized the well. And then a collaboration of her and Lily ended up putting the well onto our website. And so our college student interns truly are transformative. They have brought our organization farther than I could have ever imagined our organization coming when, you know, I and, and those who helped me to build it first helped me to conceive and build it. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of, uh, again, hopefully short term, because hopefully um, we are uh, beyond this situation as soon as possible. Um, looking beyond coronavirus into the future, um, we are uh, grateful um, insofar as we have a lot of 
interest uh, from colleges and universities to have our program on their campus. Um, in fact, we have a waiting list of colleges and universities that have requested chapters. Um, because we are a startup, uh, what we are focused on right now is building internally in order to expand externally. And the simplest way to put it is probably the following. Um, we have five chapters at six schools right now. So uh, I mentioned that Barnard and Columbia are combined, which is where there are only five chapters, yet we have six schools that we serve. With five chapters at six schools, you can train, evaluate, coordinate, and direct those chapters efficiently and effectively. However, um, excuse me, like with a smaller, right, national staff, you don't need you know, 25 staff members to uh, train, evaluate, coordinate, and direct five chapters at six schools. That being said, when you have 25 chapters or 50 chapters or 100 chapters, yes, you know, that's the direction we want to go because we want to serve as many students as we possibly can. And the interest is there for us to be on those campuses serving, you know, thousands and thousands of more students. But in order to do it right, and we want to do it the right way, especially because we're a mental wellness organization, and so we want to make sure that the service that we offer is a controlled, evaluated, good service. If we're going to have 50 chapters, then you're going to need, or 200 chapters, whatever it may be, then you're going to need regional managers, right? Or you're going to need program associates, whatever the terminology you would choose. But the idea is you're going to need a staff that is larger in order that those chapters can have the management that they need and that they deserve. And so um, we were, uh, again, um, very fortunate insofar as we received this year a $100,000 matching grant, uh, which is good for any donation um, that comes to our organization. Um, so that any donation that comes to our organization will be matched in full up to $100,000 worth of total funding. And with, it's incredible. And uh, we, we couldn't be more thankful to have the partners that we do and the supporters that we do. Um, they literally make our work possible. Um, and so what we're doing is we are currently, um, well, again, currently we're, uh, supporting our students through COVID-19. However, we are you know, still accepting donations and looking beyond COVID-19, we're going to be building out our staff internally in order, like I said, that we can go and actually expand to these other schools and start to serve all of the students who are out there that you know, can't yet attend one of our physical dinners. Of course, they can engage with us online. They can write, you know, blog posts for the well. Um, but the dinners um, are our flagship program. And we want to be able to expand this program, um, which, you know, we know is helping students. And I'd be happy to talk about some of our metrics. Um, but we want to expand this program uh, as much as we can because we want to help as many people as we can.
And so that's what the future of our program looks like. Yeah, let's talk about the metrics. Go ahead and, and give us a little bit of, of what the impact has been able, what impact you've been able to have through these various programs. Yeah, so um, we measure both quantitatively and qualitatively. Um, so quantitatively, what we're able to show is that uh, students who are attending our programs report feeling uh, more willing to seek help, report feeling more willing to engage in open and honest conversations, and also report uh, importantly, uh, feeling more connected with each other. Um, and so when we think about this idea of one caring person, when we think about this idea of creating connection, um, that's what we want to see, right? Um, there are other quantitative measures that we use as well, and I'd be happy to dive deeper into the ones that we just discussed also. Um, however, at the same time, I think that it's also interesting to talk about some of the qualitative measures that we use. Um, and so, yeah, let's uh, talk about that because I, I think that's really interesting from a psychographic perspective, right? And part of what we talked about a little bit earlier with this whole concept of, of, um, thought evolution, consciousness evolution through spiral dynamics. So maybe we can kind of mix the two, go ahead and give us what those, those metrics are. Great. Um, and so we certainly have student comments. Um, we get uh, a vast variety of different comments. Um, the best way to, without literally, you know, giving you all the different examples of the different types of comments we get, um, uh, a good way to be de- to, excuse me, let me start that over. A good way to describe it would be um, as follows. Um, let's say that you come to a dinner, right? You're a student and you come to a dinner. Um, odds are, that you're wearing the pen and face, right? That's what our research shows. We, we know that odds are that if you're coming to a reflection center, you're wearing the pen and face. So what we want to do is we want to empower you to take off that mask. And we want to empower you to take off that mask, one, connect with each other, right? Two, realizing you're not alone. And three, come to the understanding that with the um, together with your fellow students, you can actually work as open, honest, authentic, self-loving allies to overcome challenges and thrive. And so we get all different types of comments that exist along that spectrum, right? So talking about a student, you know, coming in, taking off the mask and realizing they're not alone we get comments that say, thank you so much for putting this together. I thought I was alone. Now I know that I'm not. Right? Talking about students working together, we get comments that say things like, um, you know, I'm trying to just think off the top of my head because uh, we got a comment, for example, because uh, I want to be able to directly quote it. We got a comment that said um, something like, you know, in, in the first part of the conversation, I realized, you know, that I'm not alone during the second part of the conversation. I realized that we as students can work together. This is the direct quote part to build each other up at a school where it so often feels that we are working alone or maybe even against each other. Right. And that's what we want. 
we want students to come in. We want students to, like I said, take off the mask, connect with each other, realize that they're not alone, and then go beyond that and realize that they themselves, positive youth development, as experts in their own lives, can work together with each other to overcome challenges and thrive. And so we have those you know, qualitative comments. Um, we also have different qualitative measures as to how we look at success. And one measure that we use is a, a model that we have called co-promotion. And the idea behind co-promotion is that um, it kind of going to uh, your third point, and so maybe I'll save it, um, but, but it talks about this idea of reflect as a movement. Um, and so, you know, whenever you feel it's appropriate, I, I'd love to either talk about that or keep talking about some of our uh, data and metrics without touching specifically on, you know, the co-promotions. And the movement. Yeah, it's up to you. We could go either way. I, I certainly want to hear about this concept of reflect as a movement. I, I find that highly interesting. So, OK, great. Uh, let's let's jump there right, right now. Yeah, it's necessary that we're here to empower students to come to the realization that they themselves can take off the mask and be these authentic self-loving allies. But ultimately, we see ourselves as a movement. We see ourselves as a student-driven movement towards authenticity, allyship, and self-love. Because if we do what we want to do, then we end up empowering students to realize that they don't need us to be their true selves and that when they take off their masks and when they connect with each other, these authentic self-loving allies, they can build these communities of support that help them to feel fulfilled and that help them to thrive. And so you know, to that end, we see ourselves as a catalyst. We see ourselves as a catalyst, inspiring students to realize that they can do this themselves and, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully the day will come when enough students are taking off their masks and inspiring each other to take off their masks that the movement is self-sustaining and that we realize, you know, wow, the students don't need us anymore. They're doing this ourselves. And we'll always be there for the students, right? One of our core values is allyship. So it's not like if, you know, reflect goes away, then we don't care about students anymore. Of course we do. But the students themselves are the ones driving our mission. The students themselves are the ones that are driving and leading this movement. And so that's how I think about what we do. That's how I think about our mission. That's how I think about our company, our values. That's how I think of, um, like I said, what we do as a movement. Right. Right. And yeah, I think the things that you're doing and hopefully the listeners agree are, are of critical importance. One, a couple of the statistics we didn't really touch on throughout the episode that we talked about before we jumped on the call was that one in four college students suffer from some form of mental distress or mental health issue. And suicide is quite frankly, the second highest cause of death of individuals 15 years of age into their twenties. It's critical. It's critical that we do our best to support those in need. And to your point, 
these individuals are unfortunately wearing a mask and really need the support of their community, those of us who can help to remove those masks and to feel a little bit more like there is that one individual out there at a minimum that can help them get through whatever they're, they're going through. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for, for everything that you've done. What's the best way for people to get in contact with the reflect organization or to donate or, or if they want more information, what's the best way to reach out? Um, you are the best. Thank you for asking that question. Um, if you want to reach out to us, uh, you can email info at reflecteffect.org. Um, you can also DM us on Instagram. Uh, so Instagram is one of our newest initiatives. Um, we are at the reflect.org. Uh, it is also an intern driven, intern created initiative. So it was created by a college student. Um, and what we're trying to do on Instagram is we're trying to flip the script. Um, Instagram has been a force for ill, um, for so long, right? Um, these curated images of perfection that are negatively impacting people's mental wellness. We want Instagram to be a place where people go, they follow us and they feel good about themselves and they feel proud to be themselves. And so every Monday we're doing a motivation Monday post. Every Thursday we have a reflecting post. We have a COVID-19 guide up on Instagram where you can you know, engage with us, offer each other self-care tips. Um, you can DM us on Instagram to put it uh, short. And uh, in terms of donating, so if you'd like to donate, um, please visit uh, reflecteffect, R-E-F-L-E-C-T-E-F-F-E-C-T dot org slash donate. Uh, and you can donate right there. Again, 100% of donations to Reflect are going to be matched in full up to a total of $100,000. Um, so if anybody has the means and has the ability right now, we would, of course, be grateful for it. Um, you can also uh, mail us a check. Um, and, you know, of course, we, we take cash donations as well. Um, if anybody wants to donate in kind, um, so if you want to donate a good or a service, right? Um, so, for example, if you, know, you are a lawyer and wanted to donate legal services or whatever it may be, um, that's great as well. Um, please uh, reach out to us at info at reflecteffect.org. Um, and we are um, very appreciative uh, of any of those in-kind donations that come in too. Um, same thing if you want to partner with us, if you want a training, whatever it may be. Yeah, you definitely got it. And we will put a link right at the top of the show notes to make sure that it's nice and visible and easy to just go back to the show notes, either tap it with your finger if you're on your phone or if you're listening on your computer, go ahead, hover that mouse, click on it, send some money over to the Reflect Org to help this critical, critical initiative. There are individuals suffering from mental health everywhere, regardless of where the, whether they're entrepreneurs, regardless of whether they, they appear on the surface to have it all together or to be your version of success. We really cannot tell, we cannot see what mental health looks like. It's not visible to the outside world a lot of times. So really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much for being on the show. We will do everything in our power to help, um, including uh, trying to share some of the content that you post on social media. Uh, really love what you're doing. And, and I so appreciate your time. Well, uh, I, I 
am grateful to have been on this podcast as a self-made strategies fan. Um, it's, uh, it's an honor. <laughs> thank you. Um, so thank, thank you. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say is, um, if any of your listeners, um, need one caring person, um, please make that person me. Um, you know, like Tony said, neither of us are doctors, right? And if you need professional assistance, um, please go and seek that professional assistance. Um, but if you need somebody who's not going to judge you, who's going to hold you to a high expectation and who's going to believe in you, um, to be the best person that you can be, uh, I can do that. And so if you email reflect, uh, excuse me, if you email info at reflecteffect.org and if you put in the subject line, you're my one caring person, then that email will get forwarded to me. And as soon as I see it, I'll get in touch with you, um, because I believe in you, period. And you're not alone. Um, so Tony, thanks again so much for, for everything you do, for providing this platform for us to chat. It's always a pleasure. Um, and, and thank you for all you do, um, for the community via the self-made strategies podcast and, uh, the wealth of other initiatives in which you're involved. Um, it, <laughs> thank you. Thank perfect. you for saying that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have a big head and I won't be able to get out of my basement for the next hour or so <laughs> until, uh, <laughs> until the inflammation dies down. Um, yeah. Thank you so much again, Jared. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll post some of those instructions. There will also be a transcription of this on our website under this particular episodes link. So if you go to this episode and you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see a lot of those instructions in the transcription to make it easy. And, um, man, I cannot, uh, I'm totally blown away by, the, by what you're doing and the way that you're doing it. So thank you. Well, it's, it's kind of you to say. 